Got take two here with Coach Eric Coles. Take two. Eric, thanks for coming on the podcast. I'm excited again. <laughs> <laughs> we got interrupted last time midway through our episode, so we're just going to restart here and uh, talk about some of the same things, but it'll be a little bit different. I don't know. See where, see where it goes. Um, so, Eric, what are you guys working on in, in class now? Tenth grade, we're finishing up uh, Never Let Me Go. Okay. And uh, we are transitioning into Things Fall Apart. Nice. So that'll be good. And, uh, and then in 11th grade, just finished Great Gatsby. I'm going to read next The Awakening. The Awakening. Uh, by Kate Chopin. Yeah. Um, I've never read that. It's interesting. It's an yeah. interesting read. Uh, talks about just this character who wants to essentially just get away from her life not happy with it yeah so she makes a big change and it goes 100 percent the other way from where her life was headed and we're just like oh okay interesting all right so it's pretty cool i've read this uh the story of an hour by her oh yeah you read that in class that's okay. a good that's a good little story to yeah. bring in does she is she focused on uh her region i mean is it like based in like new orleans or I don't think so. No, it's, okay. Yeah, I don't think so. It's really just about a, a woman who hears that her husband like has had an accident mm -hmm. and is not coming back. He's he died okay. with an accident. She gets word of that and then she's sad at first and then all of a sudden she like is like realizes that she's free. Mm -hmm. So it's implied that he was, I don't know, kind of a oppressive and yeah. uh dominating husband and then there's like a mystery or, yeah. or, or not really a mystery but a surprise at the end of the story okay. so yeah, similar kind of context i guess for uh the awakening she's when she goes the other way she's like oh i'm free and and they're like well not really and she's like oh i'm free though yeah <laughs> so she keeps going <laughs> interesting is that a pretty long book will that take you guys a while i mean it's it's like it's 37 chapters but they're relatively really? small so okay. you can kind of crank through it pretty easily nice. so how did how did Gatsby go in your junior oh, English class? I think they loved it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's one of the easier reads, but um, they were they were enjo they enjoyed it. We had some really good debates about uh, the characters, particularly uh, Tom and Daisy. Yeah, you know, and I kind of I like set it up to the point where they were looking at those characters from the beginning and. Man, they're like in the beginning. They're like, oh, they're, these are great characters, mm -hmm. and then by the end, they're like, these are the worst characters. Yeah. And we had a pretty lively debate about uh, about Daisy and uh, and how she how she comes off. Yeah. And the girls and boys were like, it was heated. What, what are the? We had one of those too. What are the different sides in that in that argument? Well, we debating. Like, one of the arguments was that they were upset with the fact that all right so tom's a cheater he, he's like you know doesn't he's not faithful to her mm -hmm. uh and so part of the argument was like well she is only doing what he's done so it's only fair hmm. that that she cheats too and that she gets to have this relationship with gatsby so then i kind of questioned like well so you're condoning like infidelity yeah and they're like well no no I'm like well you just said you just said that and so that kind of sparked amongst them like yeah you're talking about like she's she's cheating as well that's that's you know just as bad we knew tom was a cheater and we didn't like him for that right now she's doing the same thing and you guys are saying well it's okay because he did it 
no, it's not. Yeah. Uh, so that's where they kind of really butt heads because they felt like she was good, but she was kind of forced into this this uh, this life of cheating. Like, well, that's not really the case. Yeah. Um, so then that kind of snowballed even more into, well, Tom was really open about his cheating. Yeah. <laughs> she was really kind of like methodically like trying to hide it. Mm-hmm. So who's worse? And that was the, that was a big question. Who's worse? Who's 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 like the worst? You know, of the of of those two, which are inherently both bad. Yeah. But who was actually worse? The guy who kept it open, <laughs> or the, the woman who kept it hmm. pretty silent? Uh, I think um, I think she's worse. I think Daisy's worse because to that point, Tom, you you know about his relationship yeah. from the beginning, and he also shows a little bit of emotion when Myrtle Wilson dies. Yeah. He starts sobbing on the car ride home, which yeah. I kind of appreciate that from him. Mm-hmm. And Daisy, she has no reaction. She doesn't even show up at the guy's funeral. No, no reaction. Yeah, so. and I would take a little bit of emotion over her indifference, yep. I think, any day. So it became pretty heated but it was good they were were, it was respectfully heated if i (laughs) i like that that's my favorite when it gets when it gets going in there we had a good debate about why she cries into gatsby's shirts oh yeah would would you guys come up with it was once one side of the room and and i have one class Mm -hmm. um, my second period class today that i love just throwing little questions like this at them because they exactly like you said get two sides of the classroom mm-hmm. one side is like all out the other side is you know t- giving it right back to yeah, him it's yeah. amazing um one side was about oh well she cares about gatsby it's been so long since she's seen him she regrets marrying tom and you know wish that she was with gatsby and then the other side was maybe two or three students mm-hmm. like not many at all it might have even been one or two and they were like, yeah, she's materialistic. She's just crying over how, how nice these shirts are. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. That's one of my favorites, that, we, uh, that question. I, I asked a question. I've done it a couple times. And I, so I posed it to them this, this, this year. Um, there is an article that an old colleague of mine, we read and we used to teach it, um, asking the question, is Gatsby black? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I've heard that before. Yeah, and then you know you can kind of look at some context clues within the text that maybe indicate that. Um, there's some like physical descriptions of him. Mm-hmm. Um, the and, the Jordan Baker line, or or there's one line in chapter seven, we're all white here, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so that's their argument, like, no, oh, no, they say they're all white here. Um, but Tom, the way that Tom kind of treats Gatsby. Is it because he's, well, and Tom makes some statements earlier in the year, or earlier in the book, but even in that chapter seven when they're all around the house, he, he's like always been against him. Yeah. And we don't really know why. I mean, clearly there's some, he's a little nervous about Gatsby and his, uh, maybe the relationship that he sees between his wife and, and, and Gatsby, but there's something else. Right. There's yeah. Something else, and and there's there's indication after reading this article, there's indication that yeah, maybe he is, he knows that Gatsby is not white, mm-hmm. and so the discrimination that he gives him, the like the the negative that negative vibe that he gives him, is because he knows that he can never be truly like him. Mm-hmm. So that's why he's so kind of cutthroat and like, you know, you're not like me, 
and even when we watch some of the film too, he says, "No, no, no, no. Yeah, <laughs> we're we're not like each other." Yeah. So and it's uh, yeah, that could be that could be race because there are some descriptions of Gatsby with like tan skin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of thing. It could just be the class, but it's interesting yeah. discussion for sure. It was so. Um, so they they kind of like. Uh, they kind of got into it. I, I wish uh, we 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 didn't really dig into it, and I was like trying to still move along. Yeah. But it was something that I threw out at them, and they were like, "Hmm, hold a sec, you're right, because there are a lot of a lot of context clues that say, yeah, maybe he is. Maybe something's something is not right about it. But then the idea of like passing. There's that Noah Larson book called we, Passing. We read that in my read class that. this yeah. year. And so, you know, I think some of them didn't realize like, okay, if you're you could be light skin. Yeah. And pass, mm-hmm. and people don't know, but you know, so right. maybe that's something that you, you, you know we throw out there. Yeah. So it's it's always a fun kind of thing to just like screw up everybody's kind of thinking. Yeah, I mean it's amazing that you c- that Fitzgerald could put all of these like mysteries in yeah. this very short book. Oh yeah. Um, I think they also like it because it's short too. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's short enough. There's enough action. Yeah. There's. There is like a plot, I guess, oh, to yeah. this, this story. There's there are things that happen, even though it's just all parties, like one party after another. But do you, what movie do you guys watch? We watch the uh, the newer one, the Baz Luhrmann one uh, with Leo. Yeah. Um, but I do like the actual other one with Robert Redford. I think they don't know who that kids don't know who that is. So yeah, I date myself if I play that. <laughs> I was showing a little bit of of both because yeah. it was just interesting one was made in the 70s and yeah. the other one was like a few years ago mm-hmm. just just cool to see the decisions oh yeah like absolutely how to cast these characters so how do you how do you uh usually come up with your curriculum like what what is the i guess junior year english you have to teach gatsby and death of a salesman but what are some of the other texts that you bring in and how do you make those decisions so i i went th- thematically this year um with Things that I felt comfortable with that I knew that I've taught before, uh, but the idea of the American dream. I mean, I think that's a really broad one, mm-hmm. uh, but it's also a really good one and kind of pick some text that related to that. And one of the kids, want the kids actually to look at all these different ways of how the American dream is portrayed. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did They're There, which was Native American, or uh, yeah, Native, Native Americans, um, and how in like urban like modern day it's a very contemporary text so it's like modern day uh, native americans and how they look and see the american dream kind of helping helping them mm-hmm. uh so that's it's interesting because it's very different from you know a gatsby right which you know looks at it from one uh, like a very elite kind of uh class mm-hmm. we looked at uh, the american dream from raising the sun you know, and that's different, um, and that deals with housing, but also how, you know, this poor, you know, African-American family is trying to move up and trying to capture that American dream, but they have a hard time with it mm-hmm. because of kind of race relations in, in America and how that, how that plays a part. Um, and then, you know, we started the year off with the bluest eye and looking at what American dream is there. And for that, those characters, it was about... You know, my idea of the American dream, that the, the main character was, you know, having blue eyes. And that's what she wanted. It wasn't about, hmm. like, the financials. It was about, like, being accepted by 
my face and by my eyes in America. Because if I have blue eyes, then you know everybody loves me and I'll be accepted. So I've not had the chance to read that yet, but that is on on the list. Make it make it one of your one yeah go tos. Yeah, it's great. It's really good. Yeah, and it goes pretty well because I know Tony Morrison. We've talked about this before. It's so difficult to read. I think in high school. Oh yeah. With beloved. Um, well, it's great, but tough. It's very tough. <laughs> yeah. I read it in college, and it was over my head yeah, a bit. Yeah. So, now I think Bluest Eye is probably Bluest Eye and Sula. I think Sula, yeah, are probably the easier of the two to read of I mean of her of her her catalog. But uh, Bluest Eye is really it's based with about children. So mm-hmm. we're looking at kids and how they perceive things, and adults and how they perceive stuff. So. Now is it a is it a child narrator or is it a third person narrator? It it bounces it bounces oh, between it does. like child narrator and then the child has become an adult and she's like recalling back, hmm. um, and then yeah like a, another narrator. So it's 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 interesting. You just have to kind of follow along, but it's pretty good. Actually, really good. I like goes it. pretty well for high school students yeah, reading that. I think yeah. so. Yeah, and it and actually like makes them lean into some discomfort and like question some things and. Um, you know, and if we're, if we're like trying to push them to think broader, right. it's one of those books where you're, boy, you're going to, you're going to walk out like, gosh, this was tough, but I get it. And it was hard to read, but I am glad I did because some of those topics need to be talked about. Yeah. I think, and I think in a place like this, those are, uh, those are that leading into that discomfort is great. Yeah. So it's always a good way to, and that's what I started the year with. So I was like. Hey, we're going to dedicate a good amount of time to this discomfort, but we're going to, like, you're going to get out of this. You're going to be so far ahead of, of uh, you know, what your thinking was when you yeah. walked in. So. so it sounds like most of your classes are pretty discussion-oriented. Yes. Yeah. How does a typical discussion class usually work? Like, do you throw out a couple questions? Do you have them do a little bit of prep beforehand? What is what is that like? Try to do a couple things. Um, I mean, I'll do like throw some questions on the board, have them respond uh, to them independently, and then uh, we'll have them. Uh, then we'll like share out, um, or we'll do uh, some group work. They can do some group work together, some questions again, uh, and then we'll re- we'll share out. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually, or sometimes we and I, I like to give reading quizzes uh, quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, like I don't, I don't shoot for test a lot. I do a lot of reading quizzes. Yeah. Um, but like the reading quizzes are based on our conversation and our discussion. So a lot of them are plot driven. Uh, when it's you know if it's a plot heavy, like chapter. But um, but I'll have the kids like, hey, what's something that you struggle with or you have a question about? And we'll start that way. Like, hey, talk to me about this chapter. What what did you what did you get? What did you what didn't you get? And so. That's mm-hmm. an easy ways to kind of get going. Yeah. I like those easy entry questions yeah. to begin because then there's no, I don't know, there's no hurdle to, it's just like, what are your true thoughts? What are yeah. your feelings? What do you like about the reading? Yeah. You know, and that usually gets the the genuine reactions out there first. Yeah. Definitely. Um, definitely. So. I usually, uh, I do, I think I've been doing this the last two years in all my classes, just one daily entry question, like the first journal entry question of the day. Yeah. And the question usually has to relate to something with your own life or some connection between you personally and the chapters that we just read. Because I think, 
I don't know, just for me, like having a personal connection or relation or a way that I can see this mm -hmm. and speaking on that first at least gets me a little bit more comfortable and, and lets me, uh, I guess, ease into the deeper conversation yeah. about the reading. But just trying all those new ways out in, in, in my classes. Yeah, making, making connections, making the kids have connections um, with the text is paramount. I think it's the best way to, you know, engage students right from the beginning. If they can connect themselves and see themselves in the literature or situations, uh, and even me, I like to share, like, hey, I've had a lot of experiences in my years of life, and mm -hmm. most of my, you know, my juniors are, you know, 16, 17, so they're pretty limited in what they've they experienced, so if I can share something out about what I've gone through, um, then that helps them at least think about it a little bit mm -hmm. uh, from a different different lens, which right. is, I think it's important. Oh, yeah. I think of of my impactful English teachers that I had in high school, I don't, I, you know, I don't remember all the details of the things that we read or yeah. this. I don't even remember what we read, but I remember what they actually shared about their own lives yeah. and their connections the most, Hell yeah. which is interesting. Yeah, those things carry a lot of weight and they make, sure, make people think, think for a long time. Yeah. I mean, again, I... I think I might have mentioned it last time, but even um, one of my still like, teachers that I still keep in touch with, and this is, you know, 25, 30 years now, um, it's, it's, you know, my, my European history teacher, and we keep, keep in touch. That's awesome. My, my old English teacher, my soccer coach, still keep in touch. And these guys are like teachers all over the country now. Yeah. It's like we make it a point. When did you uh, When did you know that you really liked English? Uh, the funny I thing is, I I had a tenth grade. I really liked it. We had a a grammar class. It was like one trimester, just straight grammar. Wow, that's when you knew you liked English. Is the grammar? Like, well, I was like, God, I hate this, but <laughs> actually, like, but it's actually pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and when I first, and then I started teaching, and I incorporated grammar. I think I was like, I definitely. This impact of grammar for this semester definitely uh, made me at least want to or or uh, be really that being part of my life. I wanted to do that, and I think uh, also I, I going to uh, in college. I was uh, part of this program, this Ignatian Ignatius Athletic Association uh, at Loyola, and we um, it was student athletes that would go and go to uh, Baltimore City Public Schools and do some type of uh, remediation clinics, or not clinics, but uh, tutoring, all those types of things, working with kids after school mm -hmm. and their homework. And that's where I think I really, really loved um, teaching, but then like bringing all that, like my, my history about with the teachers that I had and, and the grammar stuff, that's, that's where I knew I wanted to teach English, mm. so. Yeah kind of just stick to what you knew best or what you liked or most passionate about. Yeah. And then you start interacting with the kids and you're like, I think I, I think I enjoy this. This is pretty cool. It was the same story for me, just with lacrosse, I think. Yeah. And just combining those interests Absolutely. kind of yeah. leads you to the teaching profession. Um, so you started out teaching at your high school. We talked about this a little bit last time. Yeah. Um, can we just talk a little bit more about like the first couple of years of your teaching career and what that was like and what it was like returning to Bullis for a, for a year to teach? Yeah. So that was, yeah, that was interesting. Um, 
going back to Bolas uh, was interesting because I think some of the college, some of the, my new colleagues were teachers I had you know, yeah. four years ago, yep. four years prior. And, you know, now I'm calling them by their first name instead of Mr. and Mrs., you know, whatever. So that was interesting. And I had to be, I had, was told a lot, hey, I'm not Mr., I'm, you know. I'm Joe. I'm Joe. <laughs> I'm Eileen. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. It was hard. Um, and, and, I, and so that kind of, you know, once I got over that nervousness, that was, that was easy. Yeah. Um, and, and Bullis was good. I was able to kind of learn how to, to be a teacher, it was also new. Uh, I think as a first year teacher, there's a lot of struggles that you have to kind of go through. Mm-hmm. Um, and and like not only a first year teacher at a school and like at Bullis, but also being a first year teacher in general, it's probably one of the most nerve wracking things in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so having that experience was good. Make lots, made lots of mistakes. I mean, I, I won't even try to hide that. I think that's part of it. You have to make mistakes to kind of know what's good and what works, what doesn't work. Um, so, I, yeah, I made a lot of mistakes, but uh, but I was able to learn from those mistakes, and that's, you know, and, and they were very supportive of that. Um, but then I it was like, all right, I did a year here. I think it's time to go. Yeah, try <laughs> um, to step outside of the – Yeah. So you went to this was the school in Annapolis, Annapolis next? Yeah, yeah, I went to Annapolis and I was at uh, I was Saint Anne's Day Saint School. Anne's. Yeah. And it was uh it was great. Walked in, um, they had a they had a big a year of big turnover lots of turnover that year. So we essentially the whole middle school section was new. Uh, and and I was like, Okay, so what do we what do we teach here? What do we, what is on the curriculum? And they're like, The person who was here left with the curriculum. So it's <laughs> essentially up to you. Up to you. And so that was like a first-year teacher again because mm-hmm. now I'm trying to build curriculum. I had some skills in place on how to manage a classroom and to do, you know, some things that worked uh, like worked well for me. But now I'm, like, choosing literature that is uh, all new. And, you know, I used some stuff from college. And I'm like, well, how can I pare this down because it's middle school? Right. Um I took some, you know, some things from Bullis that worked for me there, and I was able to slowly. That first year was just a lot of work because I'm really like writing curriculum and building things and putting things into place that, you know, weren't there, and it was exhausting. Yeah, I mean, you almost have to take your own class before you you yeah. teach it. So you've got to do all the reading and you've got yeah. to figure out what are the important ideas to talk about in yeah. class and it's just a lot of prep I feel oh. like most of teaching is prep yep and that's yeah those that first year particularly was a heavy prep heavy prep every day getting ready for the next day and then when I have a break then like trying to plan out more than like a week out you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. Uh, and some people are really good at that uh, and looking at the big picture um, I'm not great at that it's hard that's a hard that's a hard skill to like to master um, and I still, even to this day, like I now I do about two weeks out, and yeah. that's how I in my my canvas page I I usually plan two day two weeks out, just so you know if things mess up and I, I, I kind of go go awry I can kind of backtrack and fix things up. Yeah. But, uh, but at, yeah, being a new teacher at a new school with no curriculum. 
<laughs> One of the things I like about Gilman so much is that there's room to bring in your, you know, you can, yeah. especially in the junior year, teach whatever you'd like. And I like leaving a little bit of my curriculum open mm-hmm. because I'm reading different things all the time. And I feel like, you know, I read a poem or a short story last night yeah. that I want to, you know, assign for homework. Even today, we were having a discussion in class, and I was like, this reminds me, this discussion, like this random back and forth about something, yeah. reminds me of this story. I was like, I'm just going to throw that out there and that's, let's read that story for homework because it connects. I think those, I think those natural moments of adding things to the curriculum, that's what it's all about. That's why they give us that freedom here. It's great. I love it. And I've done that multiple times this year. I'm like, oh, we're talking about something. Oh, we should definitely read this short story that I know connects uh, with, with this, this idea that we're talking about. Um, And I've done that in 10th grade particularly. So, I love it. What uh, what has it been like for you as a first first year, right? For you, you weren't here last year yeah. during our COVID and our <laughs> I don't even remember. But this is first year coming to Gilman. Yeah. Um, so, what has that transition been like coming here? Transition's been fairly easy. Um, you know, just coming from down the street at an all girls school, uh, people have been like, "Oh well, what's it's going to be hard being single sex?" I'm like, "Nah, it's it's about the same." Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just maybe a little bit different in terms of kind of the way that discussions are based, but uh, and some of the kind of extraneous things that happen. Uh, but overall, it's been a very easy transition to really, really like it. I was real surprised, um, and I've told this, you know, to Brian and to other folks, having lived in Baltimore for a while now, uh, I have always kind of had this misconception of like Gilman, like oh, it's just like this, the kids are really this way, and and then when I got here, um, first day of like soccer practice, and I, every kid was like, "Hey, thank you," came up and gave me a fist bump. I, I kind of looked around like, "No, this isn't the norm." And then it happened again the next day, and then it happened again that day after that. They love I'm doing like, that. I'm like, "Oh, these like, these are genuine. These are they, they're thanking me for like spending the time to work with them in soccer." Yeah. That's never happened. Yeah. And I really appreciate that. And I really kind of kind of like hammered hammered down that like, yeah, this is a great place. I like this place. <laughs> I do. I mean and, and like it's really weird. I was like one of the first things I said to my wife on the first day, I was like every kid that came up was like, Thank you and like even after class, kids are saying thank you. Yeah. And I'm like, I really that that just blew me blew blew my mind because I didn't think about that. Yeah. Um, You've got to love that when, when they, you know, they're leaving and say thank you after class. It just seems like they were there. They they listened. They heard me. They appreciated this time. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely some really good mannered and well-behaved. I mean, there's no, there's no, like, behavioral issues really here. I never have to, like, talk to anyone after class or, like, kick anyone out, out of class, uh, really. I feel like I can do that. <laughs> a little bit. Maybe with the all-boys sophomore yeah, year. Yeah. But I feel like so, having the girls and the guys in the same room. Yeah. Those, it, those classes are great. They, yeah. There's no the, – the mixed classes have never been – I don't think we've had one issue. Yeah. I mean, they're typically, for the most part, very respectful uh, of each other. What's it been like coming from all girls into teaching the co-ed, the co-ed classes? I think uh, for me it's been – that's probably been the easiest transition. Yeah. Um, because – a, the text 
very similar to what I, I used. Um, so for me, I, I, I just came in with the idea. I want to see the boys. And I want to push the boys to kind of think a little bit about um, kind of some, some, some woman studies, yeah. some things that are really synonymous with, with women and females in, in literature that we don't necessarily get that viewpoint from at an all-girls school. Like I, I, I was accustomed to hearing specifically how women reacted to some of the stories. So I was really interested, particularly like for Bluest Eye, it's based on a young girl. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you guys think about it? And getting that feedback was great. Yeah. So. Yeah. You like those different perspectives in the classroom. Yeah. And that's the, that's the benefit of having the coordinate system of having girls in the room. You can mm-hmm. kind of hear all sides of a, of an, of a position or a, um, of a text. Yep. Talk about the many different angles that you can look at something. Yeah. Yeah. I think my hardest, or my the most difficult part for me coming in teaching the co-ed classroom is at first it was just kind of awkward in there because mm-hmm. a lot of these students have never been in the same room with you know they've gone to a boys school or a girls school their whole life so coming in and, and learning beside each other was you know, for the first couple of weeks it's always you got to break the ice a little bit oh, yeah I, I did learn that they they are very segregated and don't want to like yeah. really interact with each other. Yeah. And now, now they're like, all right, now it's, be quiet. <laughs> now it's comfortable. Yeah. Um, so how about coaching? How about coaching soccer? How did you kind of first start coaching soccer and, and kind of getting into that part of your, your job now? So Bullis started coaching. I was a varsity assistant. Um, and middle school head coach uh, for like, soccer, for basketball. Um, I was on the staff, the JV staff for basketball at Bullis, uh, which also meant that I was on the varsity staff too. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, I've always loved sports, and so giving an opportunity to coach really was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and particularly for soccer, like giving kids, you know, the skills or helping them achieve some of the skills that will – maybe help them to play at the next level was always fun. It was always fun. And we had some, some good teams and some good kids. And so that, you know, the model here of coaches being or teachers being coaches, that was easy. That was the same at Bullis. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's something that I will, I always volunteer. I mean, at Mercy, that wasn't the the case. There was, I think four teachers that were coaches. Hmm. Um, And I, I coach, at some point, a couple of years, three seasons. Uh, so, uh, who'd you coach in the spring? Uh, outdoor track. Outdoor track. Yeah. Nice. So, so uh, but I, I always joke like, oh, I need to take a season off so I, uh, so I can maintain my marriage because <laughs> <laughs> uh, coaching three seasons is a lot. It's yeah, a lot to ask on me, but it's a lot, a lot to last, ask on the family. And we start having kids, so that's, you know. Yeah. Once that happens. Your life changes. Right, right. Um, so soccer is your, your first love, your primary love. How did you, how did you, uh, I guess, come to the sport of soccer and, and start playing? So I grew up in D.C. Um, and my elementary school that I went to uh, had a team that practiced at our fields in the afternoon. And I just, like, started watching it. I was like, oh, that's fun. I want to, like, try that. So I talked to my mom. We joined 
MSI, which was like Montgomery Soccer Incorporated, and start playing. Um, and I was, you know, fast, but, you know, just trying to, didn't have the skills yet, but I was, picked it up very quickly and would play all the time and then joined more teams and more teams and got better and had some experiences that, you know, from from going to uh, to Brazil for like a 10-day uh, soccer-filled wow. extravaganza. Wow, how old were you? In- uh, at that point, I was I was 17, 17, about to be 18. High school? Yes, uh, yeah, senior. Was that with a team or is that by yourself? That yeah, was with a team. Yeah. My, my club team um, was a Bethesda club team, pretty good back then. Uh, of, of that team, I think everybody played, everybody went on to play Division I uh, soccer. And it was great. Yeah, we went to Brazil. We played a lot of uh, club teams there. Um, we got we got spanked a couple games. Yeah. <laughs> we played, <clears throat> excuse me, we played uh, played some games where we, we dominated, and it was great. I, a funny story is we um, played one team, and I think we lost four nothing. Uh, and this guy, the, they they crossed the ball. There was a guy at the top of the box, so eighteen yards out, he just heads the ball crushes it into the upper 90 from the 18. My goalie had no chance, no chance of it. And we're like, who's this kid? So a year later, we're looking uh, at the Brazilian national team. Who who do we see? Oh, my gosh. This kid who at that po- that time was probably like 15 or 16. Yeah. Um, he's on the Brazilian national team. 17, 18. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and I was like, oh, my gosh, that's the same kid who became a star for them, for, who became a star for the national team for the le- next couple of years. So I was happy to say that, yeah, we got smacked by that. <laughs> yeah. You identified him first before he got absolutely got huge. <laughs> so forgive me. I, don't, I actually don't know that much about soccer. Okay. So like best, like, like top countries in the world with soccer, Brazil's in the top three. Brazil's, Brazil's in the top three. I mean, recently – Ooh, there's so many teams. Um, you know, Germany's always been a tough draw. Um, you know, Netherlands is always good. Spain is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, England's been solid. France clearly has been really, really, really good. Um, you know, and those are the big countries. They they have just a, a bigger pool. To <laughs> yeah, that's right, Italy. <laughs> but you know, my my best friend from high school was an uh, was an Italy fan, so I used to always like to give him grief. Um, <laughs> so so yeah, why is that? Because like so many people in America play soccer, and we've got all the facilities and everything here, and and you know kids play year round since their only focus. Why is it that these other countries are are so good? Is they have more players, or is it coaching? What is it? I, there's, this is a huge debate that yeah. goes on in, in U.S. soccer right now, but I think it's. Um, well, I mean, the in those big countries, in those countries, they start much much younger, and it's not. It's the pay-to-play model that is uh, really kind of challenging here, hmm. because you know if you pay pay the pretty high fees to play soccer or any sports here, um, that that. You know, you don't necessarily aren't the best player, but you can play so you can get on those teams that go places and travel and do all those things. I think in, in those other countries, 
you know, you kind of start at a very young club, and if they see you and you get exposure, then they're going to keep you there. You're not paying that. They're they're paying for you oh. to kind of go through those clubs and develop and develop and develop till you get to a point where they're like, all right, they could be go for the you know the men's or the women's national team because we've developed them. So their their program it starts at a younger age, and I think the the recruiting, I guess. Well, recruiting, but also just the training and getting them up to up to the level that you know they expect them to be at at the different intervals. Um, the U.S. has debated on that for years. Um, they are starting to try to do some of those things with some of these clubs in their um, in their youth programs, uh, having them play each other getting uh, foreign coaches to come in and train, help them. Uh, there's, there's, there's so many, so many factors. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, we'll never I, – I, as good as we are now, which it's been great to watch. I don't know if you've watched any of the, of the kind of uh, qualifying games for the U.S. I know they qualified, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. But it's been great because we have this big youth movement right now, which is, which is awesome. Um, U.S. is typically – Gone with an older, older uh, lineup in years past, and it always shows up. Like we have the experience, yes, but we don't have like the creativity and the legs to kind of mm-hmm. stick with some of the big powers. This 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 campaign has been so much different because their coach uh, has literally just taken all these young players and like thrown them in, and they're really stepping up, which has been amazing. Um, and we've got now kids who qualify for two countries some from mexico and or and then u.s they're like choosing u.s over mexico or choosing their u.s over some of the countries that they might have joint citizenship Hmm. so it's really changed the dynamic now unfortunately a lot of these guys are hurt (laughs) from their club programs so we're hoping by november we can kind of that's world cup is november i think i think they push it to november this year where where is it it is in Cutter this year. Nice. Yeah. So, um, so it'll be it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting if we can get people healthy. Yeah. We're gonna have a fun lineup. It's gonna be fun to watch. Yeah. But who knows? Who knows? So to become a, a great soccer player um, in the U.S., it, it, do you like? Do you? resonate with the full year uh, club soccer you've got to do this from a time that you're younger and, and maybe just focus on soccer and not play other sports or do you th- do you think other sports can help like improve your soccer game like what is your philosophy on all that because I know I know travel soccer is just an all year round it's all that's all you do yeah. I've got a couple students who you know they got soccer every weekend yeah. I think I think it really depends on a couple things depends on the kid. Um, some kids maybe just get burned out by playing soccer all the time. So having another uh, something that they, something else that they do might m- just make them better. Um, I, if you if you talk to like kind of any of the coaches higher up, I think oh no, stick with one and play that all the time. Mm-hmm. Get better that way. Um, and so for some kids, that's that's the one thing that works really well is that dedication to the the, the craft and. W- Doing whatever you can, working at it as much as possible, getting better—that uh, is—that's the philosophy. So I, I really couldn't give you that uh, a real firm. I think it just depends. I yeah. think it, you know, in anything, it's 
it's roll the dice and see <laughs> see where it takes you. Um, what sports do you think complement soccer really well? So you played basketball. Yeah. Does basketball have a influence on your soccer game at all? Maybe not. Fitness wise, no. I mean, fitness wise, maybe yeah, because you're running all the time in basketball. Uh, but there are a lot of stops. Um, as I've watched lacrosse more and more, and now my son is playing it, I I think lacrosse definitely has some elements of soccer. It has elements of basketball. It has elements of football. football. I think that's probably the most kind of the sport that, you know, you, soccer is very similar to, like running plays and, mm-hmm. you know, making runs and overlaps and all those types of things. And you're running constantly. Right. That soccer and, and lacrosse kind of job. But that's why I'm, like, really enjoying watching lacrosse even more. Uh, because there's so many factors where I'm like, oh, if he did this, like, particularly my son, I'm like yelling at him, like, <laughs> get back. And <laughs> so do you do you know the game of lacrosse pretty well, or are you just learn kind of learning it now? No, I know it pretty well. So yeah. my brother-in-law, I think I might have told you this way back, or maybe I told Tony, but uh, my brother-in-law just got inducted into the uh, Washington State um, Hall of Fame hmm. uh, for lacrosse. And he is, he's been playing it for a while. And I've been married for a while, so I've known him for a long time. It's getting big out there in it is. Washington. It is. And uh, he, um, I mean, he's from New Jersey, but he, he moved out there. And that's been his big thing to, to play lacrosse, to bring lacrosse out there, to promote the sport. And he's done a really good job about that. Um, so I think in, in high school, I was asked to play lacrosse. I didn't know anything about it. They're like, you could you could be a really great lacrosse player. I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, but I, I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. I went to college and going to Loyola, where lacrosse is probably the number one sport over there. Um, it's it, I just learned it even more. Uh, and one of our goalies, well, a goalie that had just graduated when I got there, um, was a two or three time All American lacrosse player, mm-hmm. uh, as well as a uh, All American goalie for soccer oh wow <laughs> wow so and he's uh and right and currently he works for dc united he's a goalie coach for dc united was he goalie in lacrosse still he wasn't no he was just like a midfielder but he was like six four and built hmm. and he could run through anybody so um so yeah he just kind of like saying okay this guy is huge and he played lacrosse he must have been really good and he was uh and so he um, you know, he was good to watch and like learn to learn a little bit about the game. And so for that, I just start watching it more and more and more. Yeah. Um, so it's been great. It's been great just watching the game develop. And, and, and now that, like I said, my kid's playing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad even if he doesn't play at the next level, at high school level, I'm happy that he just is learning the game and yeah, it's uh, a fun sport. Yeah, it is fun. It's really fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm trying to think about playing goalie in soccer and how you kind of uh, like coach that position. Huge net. I guess you just just react. It's, I mean, I'm I don't know what the what the tips are, but it seems it's, like you're covering such a wide. Yeah, you got to be. You have to know the game, so you'd be able to use your feet as well as you know use your hands, obviously, and cover the goal. And you got to be a little bit smart and anticipate. It's yeah. a lot of anticipation. Um, and if you can do all those things and stop the ball, then you're, uh, you'll be coveted. <laughs> you see a lot of shots like lacrosse, oh, you know, yeah. see different types of 
kicks or whatever, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, footwork. Hopefully, you know, you got a good defense that doesn't allow a lot of shots, but um, but you never know. Yeah, some some goalies see tons, see tons. I think that's my only, maybe my only problem that I need to get over with soccer is yeah. that not enough scoring for me. Like I like to, I like to see the, you know, more goals. No, I, I, like I, lacrosse. I think that's the biggest gripe for a lot of people. You're like, oh, you know, they've been and, playing for 45 minutes and it's one nothing or, right. or zero zero. Like, score some goals already. But you have to appreciate the the beauty of the sport and oh, the yeah. and the other dimensions of it. Yeah. Kind of like true. same as like hockey for me too. Like I like watching hockey, but after 15 minutes, no goal. I'm like, all right, turn the channel, right? <laughs> <laughs> See what else is on. Um, all right, Eric. Well, uh, maybe we could get to your book recommendation for for the viewers. What what did you bring in, or what what do you want to talk about here? So um, I I chose the Lords of Discipline, uh, and that's um, it's a book by Pat Conroy. Uh, it's about a. Uh, it's probably based in about the I think the '60s, early '60s. So we know civil rights is going on in the uh, in America, and we got this young African American kid who uh, has been wanting to go to a elite uh, military academy in the South, and I think it's loosely based on the Citadel. All right, and uh, he gets accepted. He's the first African American kid to be accepted into this into this school um, and so the political implications are pretty high you know like oh you got our first uh, student of color in this school we want to keep him here and so because this is where America's going at the time but uh, there's also a group of people the secret society within this school that their job is to haze newbies new fresh new freshmen uh, and so they take it upon themselves to really give him uh, extra, mm-hmm. extra, extra hazing. Hmm. Uh, and so uh, even, even and, and this is kind of from the top down, some of the, uh, the racial, racial kind of implications and, and negative stuff is coming from, from the higher ups. But mm-hmm. there's a group of kind of middle management uh, administrators that want to see this kid's success, uh, be, or excuse me, be successful. Uh, and so what they do is um, they recruit some kids who are initially his roommates or upperclassmen to look after him and watch him and make sure that he gets through without too much uh, physical abuse or anything like that. So, um, and kind of this group, this group of white allies, how the, they kind of get chastised by others, particularly those who are in that that secret society mm-hmm. uh, for looking out and trying to make sure that this kid gets through, uh, they they get a lot of grief for that too. So um, what is what is the time span of this the story? How long is it so I think cover? I think it's about maybe two or three years. So And it's high he's in high school. It, no, so he's in college. Oh he's so in college. college. Yeah. Okay. So it's like yeah, freshman year of college. So. How does it play out between the group that's, I guess, defending this the student versus the people who are hazing him? So there's some a uh, lot of lot of a lot of oof, issues of uh, folks not being happy with with um, with these kids that are looking to help. 
A lot of conflict. A lot of conflict. And then I guess even the, the, the bigger twist is that one of the kids that has been recruited to help support this kid to get through is also in that secret society that is literally making his life miserable. Um, oh, he's playing two. So he's playing both sides. And there's some death that happens within the group that's looking to support hmm. because people are, um, you know, very careless. And yeah, it's there's like so many elements to it, um, and then there's I think it plays out by the end like the kid's gonna get through, but you know this group that has kind of put themselves out there and put their put their careers the military careers on the line to make sure that there's justice. Now they they have to look at the administration. They have to look at the whole system and how it's all flawed and. Hmm. And, and and then question it and either they get out because they're like I can't do this because this is inf- unfair but then if they do that obviously they're going to leave that kid high and dry and he'll be by himself so it, it you know not to give too much away but they they kind of uh, they do it they put themselves on the line when uh, when when did you read this high school read it in high school yeah wow this was a high school book and actually it was not something that I read for high school it's on it was, your own. It was on my own. Uh, the the author we were talking about Pat Conroy, um, and he's he's such a good writer. And I just like stumbled upon it, like oh okay, I read I had to read another book of his um, for high school, and I was like, well, this book is okay. But I just looked at some of his other work, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna try this, and I did, and I was like, fell in love with it. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. So it sounds like it, you, you're one of those high school students who are you, you were just naturally. Like interested in yeah, reading and I like to read, love yeah. to read. Yeah, wow, definitely. Yeah, it's tough to. I mean, it's tough to find uh, students like that. I always ask my classes, "What are you guys reading outside of school?" And I'm, you, you know, reading outside of school. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's, it's just hard to find that time, I guess. But yeah. it's also, you know, it's just kind of rare to leave the distraction of the phone and the computer and all the technology aside and like go pick up a book. Now, I feel, I feel like it's, it's one of my things that my when I take my kids to the bookstore um, they're they're like walking out and trying to walk out with like 10 books and I'm like not 10 you can go five and I just can't say no yeah like if you want to get a book yeah I love it <laughs> like but if you want to go like you know get some robux points or something <laughs> or bucks or whatever robux whatever that is no, no I'm not gonna give you that but if you want to get a book yeah absolutely yeah. Uh, so I end up spending Way too much money when I go to a bookstore. So do I. Because it's just like, oh, do I you, can't say no. Do you spend? Do you feel like you have much time to read on your own during the school year? Absolutely not. No. No. I wish I could, and that's one of the big things that I always want to do. Uh, but um, usually the summertime, I kind of dig into a couple books. This past summer, because it was new, uh, new school, I was able. I was just trying to read stuff for for school this year get ready to go um but i think this summer well depending on what i'm teaching next year um we'll, we'll uh be some more just enjoyable reading any uh any books on the list yet for you that you meaning to get to now not yet yeah still so. making it through the next couple yeah. Yeah. months here yeah. awesome Definitely. well uh i have this book that i'm teaching in my uh my senior elective okay uh, my senior electives on short fiction and this book is by George Saunders. Um, 
He's written a few. He wrote Lincoln and the Bardo, um, which came out a couple years ago. But this is called A Swim in a Pond in the Rain. And it's about, I think, eight eight different Russian short stories. And uh, Russian short stories have always been fascinating to me because they're – a little bit, you know, different than what we're used to in teaching American literature, uh, or, or just in America. But they're very close to life. Like these characters are, I don't know. They, they, the Russian writers can distill the characters so far down to like the kind of essential humanity. Yeah. And um, and I, I think this book is really good for the class because George Saunders breaks down all of these mysterious and kind of uh, difficult Russian short stories into like what exactly is going on here? Why is this? Mm-hmm. Why is this story so compelling? What makes it a story? Um, and that's really what the class is about: is like what is a story, and okay. what makes a story compelling. So, I really like this one. I'm rereading it, but there's a lot of good things in here about, you know, like starting a story. Okay. Like the first couple of paragraphs, like what do you need to, what do you need to do to get your reader hooked? Mm-hmm. And then what needs to happen in in a story to make it effective? Um, so I don't know. I like the short story form too, especially for seniors. It's probably the best thing, right? Because it's you know <laughs> if you don't like it, then good. We got we got one coming in the next class. Yeah. Um, do you teach much short fiction in your in your classes? So the juniors, I mean, we do that short story unit in the beginning. Uh, like this, that's their summary. Uh, and then I think I introduce a couple short stories, mm-hmm. uh, just tied in with other things that we're we're doing uh, for both eleventh and tenth. Yeah. Uh, but it's harder. Tenth grade's pretty. You know, we got a really robust curriculum, so it's you know it's not a lot of time that I can interject something else in there. But we try. Yeah, a lot of a lot of books in that. Yeah. And there's pretty. Pretty like heavily regimented. Yeah. I feel like in yeah. the tenth grade. Yeah, definitely. What What has been your favorite tenth grade text to teach? Ooh. Never let me go. No, I wasn't no? a huge fan of Never Let Me Go. Yeah, um, yeah. Like Frankenstein's pretty good. Frankenstein. Yeah. Um, even the Odyssey's good too. Uh, we just spent a lot of time on it, but the Frankenstein's probably so far been the best. Yeah. The best text. Yeah. Yeah. Never Let Me Go is interesting. I feel like I I liked it when I first read it, mm-hmm. but it is. I don't know. I don't know how it would go to teach that. Yeah, it's that it's, book. It's not a bad read, but like, yes, it's. I'd say somewhat challenging. Um, you know, we can get some good discussion out of it. Yeah. Um, but because you could talk about technology in the future and that kind of thing, yeah, right? Yeah. With, with cl- it's cloning. Cloning. Yeah. That's looking interesting. At, looking at uh, looking at how you know the the pluses and minuses of cloning. And that's what we're finishing up with now. Um, what, is, what is that discussion like? In a most people are like, yeah, I think clones should be seen as equal. Really? Yeah, they're like they want to. They're like they're just like us. They why why can't they be equal? So <laughs> so we kind of pair that against uh, Frankenstein. We're like, well, if you let's say you have a clone that's genetically messed up and like starts killing people, what it <laughs> what do you? Is that okay? And then they're like, well. <laughs> Interesting. Got some uh, futuristic conversations happening in that, Absolutely. In that course. Some of them, yeah. <laughs> well, Eric, thanks very much for coming in today for, uh, for redoing the episode. Yeah, no problem. It's Thank been you. a lot of fun. 
Um, and we'll see you. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. Yeah, right.